We have been looking at the book of Acts over the past several weeks. Uh, Tim has done the majority of those lessons. I guess Alan did a couple, didn't he? And uh, I've done a couple. And the majority of what we looked at over the last several weeks has been characters in the book of Acts. Uh, the, the series, Tim entitled Acts Men, as you see on the screen there. And uh, looking at the men and women in the book of Acts and what we can learn from them. What can we can learn from their example, both good and bad. And uh, I've, I believe this is going to be the last week of the series. I'm open to being wrong about that because I tend to get details like that mixed up. And uh, ask my wife, she'll tell you. Um, but anyway, last week I spoke about the power that was available to the people in the book of Acts. And basically, these last two weeks, last week and this week, I'm not looking at uh, a character. Um, I am looking at what I'm going to call themes in the book of Acts. I believe that when you read the Bible... You need to pay attention, especially if it's a story that you are familiar with. If it's something that you are familiar with, you need to look at it more closely. Because you tend to overlook things. You tend to think you know it. And so when I'm reading through, through, through the Bible, and something stands out at me, and then all of a sudden I see it in another place, I start to pay attention to it. And so last week we talked about... I, I, I shared with you that... When I read through the book of Acts, I'm sorry, when I started to read through the book of Acts, because I didn't finish it. I'm bad about starting and not finishing. But as I was reading in the book of Acts, I was reading, I kept seeing this, this word power jump out at me. You know, these people had great power. Their lives had power. Their words had power. They did powerful miracles. The power of God was with them. And so last week we talked about that. And now this week, what we're going to be talking about is the resurrection of Jesus. Because when you look through the book of Acts, you see him constantly talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to illustrate that in just a little bit, or prove it, whichever way you want to say it. Um, but I feel like when, you, when you're reading your Bible, and you see something over and over again, and especially if it's something you don't normally pay attention to, I think God wants you to pay attention to it. He's drawing your attention to that. And that's just kind of a side note, um, because here at Greater Alton, we don't believe that the men, or men, men that stand up here are anything special. I've not, not been to a Bible college. I went to school at Lewis and Clark Community College and have a degree in data processing. Okay, never worked in the field, but that's my degree. I am a blue-collar man. I install auto glass. Uh, Tim, very similar day, he did take some Bible classes over to a little church on the other side of the state, Mount Carmel, Illinois. Um, we don't believe that we, have, we are anything above anybody else. We don't believe we are anything special that you have to go to God through us or that what God wants you to hear has to come through us or from the stage here. Okay? When you're reading your Bible, God's talking to you. All right? And so I want to encourage you, if you see something that says, wow, I've never heard this before, or I've never seen this before, or I want to know more about this, God wants you to, too. All right? I've just been given the privilege and responsibility to share with you things that I see while I'm up here. And that's kind of a, a, a side note. But guys, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus and Him being raised from the dead, 
just as we start, I, I'm just curious, and I don't need an answer, obviously, it's too big a group for that, but how much do you talk about that? How much do you think about it? You know, if you're having a conversation with someone, uh, does it come up? I mean, another, another Christian, does it come up? You see, guys, I, I, I'm not sure it does. I started noticing this. I saw a passage in the book of Romans that I'm going to be looking at here a little, a little bit later. And I started noticing it. And I started asking people, uh, do you, are you, when you study the Bible with somebody who doesn't know God, do you share with them about the resurrection of Jesus? Or when do you? You see, here at Greater Alton, we have a series of studies that we use to help somebody find God. We sit down with you and we study and we tell you about God and we tell you about Jesus and we tell you about what He says. Um, and I asked the people, I said, where have, you, where have you studied the resurrection with people? Where do you share with it? And I don't get blank stares. I get what I call wheels turning stares. You know, you can see their mind thinking, where do I? I know it's important, but I don't have an answer for you, Gary. Well, guess what? We need to pay attention to it. I believe we as a church have neglected this. I'm just being honest with you. And I believe it's something we need to give more attention to. Now, why, have I, why do we neglect it? There's possible, some possible reasons I thought of, of why I neglect Jesus' resurrection. The first one is I've been taught to neglect it. I've been taught to. I know you're not supposed to end a sentence with a preposition, right? Debbie Weiler, I'm sorry. Debbie always points that out to me. Not always, but I know she's conscious of that. She's a librarian. Um, I've been taught to. And we've taught that around here by not emphasizing it. If you're sitting here and you said, Gary, you're right. I don't, I don't talk about the resurrection. I don't teach about the resurrection. I don't think about Jesus being raised from the dead. And what that means, that's been the atmosphere here. And I, for one, apologize to you. All right. We've we've taught that by example and by lack of emphasis. And we want to change that. All right. Um, It's kind of we look at it as it's the Easter topic. You know what I'm saying? You talk about the resurrection on Easter and you kind of neglect it the rest of the year. And if you're like me, you get to Easter and you go, it's Easter. I don't need to hear this. I already know about it. And that leads to the second thing of why I neglect it is it's a fact and there's no attention needed. I can still remember my daughter when she was young, and she doesn't say this anymore. She just acts this way now. Or I would take her, you know, I would be putting her to bed and laying down with her, and I'd say, Jesse, I love you. And she goes, I already know that. You don't need to tell me all the time. And I'd tell her, yeah, yeah, I do. Jesus tells me I need to tell you that. That's, that pretty well ends all the arguments now. She doesn't say that, but she doesn't, you know, get all bubbly and excited when I tell her either. But guys, that's the way we deal with some facts about the Bible. Oh, I know that. I don't need to look at it. I don't need to think about it. I, just, I know it, it's a fact. But we don't think about the implications of that fact. I've shared with you before that I grew up going to church my entire life. I could have told you at any time, God is love. Does God love you? Yes, He loves everybody. It was a fact in my head. It wasn't a reality in my heart. I didn't feel loved. I didn't go... See, because if I'd have felt loved, I wouldn't have been so insecure. I wouldn't have been worried about what other people thought and afraid of doing the wrong thing because I understood the love and forgiveness of God. 
And guys, I believe the resurrection falls into that category where we look at things and we say, well, it's just a fact. I don't need to give any attention to it. You know, um, I am a, my wife calls me a rebel. I call her a conformist. I don't accept things just because that's the way they are. Okay? I question them, and especially when it comes to holidays. Okay? Valentine's Day? Really? I'm in trouble because somebody decided I'm supposed to do this. You know, it doesn't matter what I did three weeks ago when we went out to eat or the, the present I got you. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be bound by those societal rules, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, uh, I, I just don't want to do it. I, I was for not having a Christmas tree. In fact, we didn't have one until we had children and she conformed. But guys, you know, I don't like just going through the motions. That's what you do. Because I believe that's what happens is you just go through the motions. And I believe the resurrections fall into that. It's an Easter thing. And I don't need to give any attention to it. You know, and guys, we need to understand that we can get when we fall into that habit. We can just flat be wrong. I don't know how else to put it. You know, I, I was sharing earlier. Uh, another thing, pet peeve of mine, besides just holidays like that, is uh, when you sneeze and somebody says, bless you. Okay, now I understand that that is the polite thing to do. All right. I understand that. Do you understand where that habit of saying bless you comes from it came from back in i assume the middle ages centuries ago when a person would sneeze and you know what they believed happened they believed that you were expelling a demon research it and so they would say god bless you you know you're you're not expelling a demon when you sneeze Okay? So you don't need to bless me. It's okay. It's polite. I understand. But you understand the way we can do things or neglect things just because of that's the way it is. And we can either give attention to something or not give attention to it just because it's a fact. And because that's the way we deal with it. Next thing, guys, is, uh, is we don't see the need. You know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Okay? And... It, I'm, I'm squeaking the wheel today, is what I'm doing. The next one is it's foolishness. I want to read a passage here to you. We'll see it later on up on the screen, but it's in Acts chapter 17 and verse 32, if I can find it in my notes. Here it is. It says, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. Guys, when you start talking about somebody being raised from the dead, it is foolishness. Did you know that Christianity is the only religion that talks about their, their, their prophet or their savior or their God being raised from the dead? You know, Muhammad died. Buddha died. All of the Hindu gods are dead. Ours is alive. Ours is alive. And people, when you talk about that, it's foolish to think about somebody coming back from the dead. You know, I don't want to sound like a nut. I say the wrong thing enough. 
But when you start talking about somebody coming back from the dead, it's unheard of. I was telling them earlier that uh, when I was a kid, my mom used to say in, that in soap operas, somebody ain't dead unless what? Unless there's a body. Because in a soap opera, you know, if somebody falls off a boat or goes down in a plane crash and they don't recover the body, they're going to bring them back in three seasons. That's the way it works. Okay? Now, I'm a science fiction fan. And do you know what the rule is when a person dies in science fiction? They ain't never dead. No, I mean, they're going to come up with some cockamamie power, some cockamamie device that can bring people back from the dead. Okay? But guys, in reality, that's not the way it works. When you talk about somebody coming back from the dead, science fiction, it's, it's real. In life, I don't know if that ever happening besides Jesus, do you? I mean, in the stories I read about in the Bible, you don't see that. People around us are going to think it's crazy, foolish to talk about it. The fourth one, or the last one, is that I like being in control. And you say, what's that got to do with it? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. All right? But I wanted to throw it out there that we tend to be people who want to control things ourselves. We don't want things out of our control. And I'll explain that here a little bit later. But why is the resurrection then central to my faith? Why should it be central to my faith? And the first one, guys, is that it was a primary focus of the early followers of Jesus. It was a early focus. You know, today you go to churches and you see crosses everywhere. Nothing wrong with that. You know, people wear them on their shirt. Their people wear them on their necklace. People wear them on their earrings. People, the cross has become a symbol of Christianity. Did you know that our, uh, archaeologists don't find any proof of the cross being a symbol of Christianity till like the 3rd or 4th century? Do you know what they do find evidence of? The, the, the empty tomb. That was the focus. And, and guys, let me just show you this. Let's look at this. I'm going to read a very long passage of Scripture, or number of Scriptures. They're, they're going to be on your screen. Only the last one is in your notes. But guys, I want to hammer home this fact that they focused on the resurrection. first one is found here in Acts chapter 1. And what's going on here is the apostles, those men that Jesus personally trained to, to, to be His uh, messengers for the world, uh, have to choose. There's 12 of them. And Judas had killed himself after he betrayed Jesus. And so they're choosing another one. And this is what it says. So now we must choose a replacement for, for Judas. From, the, from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken up from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Now listen to this, guys. He had to be a witness of everything from John's baptism up through when Jesus went into heaven. And they pick one reason for that. He's to be a witness of one thing. It's not all the parables. It's not his death on the cross. It's the fact that he rose from the dead. See, guys, that sets it apart. That's different. That needs witnesses, doesn't it? Go on. Acts chapter 2, it's the first sermon. The first time Jesus is preached to the masses. So that God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grips. 
Acts 2, 31 and 32, same sermon. It says, David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Acts 3.15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Acts 4.2, these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. Acts 4.33, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. Acts 5.30, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Acts 13, when they had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. Acts 17, we've already read this. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Now, this passage in Hebrews 6 was written years after the resurrection. And he's talking to Christians who've not matured is really what it is. He says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. We, you don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. What does he say here? He includes the resurrection of the dead in the, the basic teachings and of fundamental importance. The question is, is that where we have it? Is that where we place it? First Peter 3.21. Here is one of those verses that we're familiar with, right? What does it say? Baptism is when you are saved. That's what we use this verse for. And it says, And that water is a picture of baptism which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 1, 3-4, it says, The good news is about His Son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. He was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 4, 23-25. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in Him. The One who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And He was raised to life to make us right with God. See, guys, if you are struggling with feeling saved, if you are struggling with feeling like you're accepted before God, you may have a problem believing in what are focusing on the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Because He's saying what? This is the proof of it. 
This is the proof of it. And finally, guys, in 1 Corinthians 15, and this one's in your notes. And he says, I passed on to you what was most important. Underline, circle, highlight, most important, whatever you do. This is, this is what was most important. And what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by more than 500 of His followers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have died. Then He was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I saw Him also. Guys, he says this is what is most important. And he lists three things about, when he, about his message about what's most important. Jesus died. He was buried. And He rose to life again. Now it's interesting when he tells that, and then he goes on and spends three or four verses talking about one of those three things. They were witnesses of one of three things, and that was that he rose from the dead. You see, guys, that's significant because it's so different. Okay, a man dying is nothing. Jesus dying is historical fact. Do you know that? Him, his burial is historical fact. You can go look at, at evidence outside of Christianity that supports Jesus' existence, his death at the hands of the Romans, and the Jews' involvement in that. And his burial. And then what you'll come to historically was his body disappeared. That's where the proof needs to be. Well, here's the situation, guys. This is key to our faith. It's key to where you are at. And you see, guys, that's what he's saying there. He's saying you need to look at the evidence. You need to look at the evidence. They focused on this. Now, in a, in a, in a group this size... I'm guessing there's probably some of you have some questions about this being raised from the dead. And that is okay. That is fine. Guys, you need to know, but I just want to encourage you to go look at the evidence. One of the things that happens on Easter is that we have uh, a traditional Easter service. We'll talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, and they'll talk about the four theories. I believe it's four, isn't it? Four theories about what happened to the body. Generally, okay, I'm only going to talk about two of them because I can only remember two. What's that? Four popular theories about what happened to the body. One is that the apostles stole the body. That these guys who were so afraid when Jesus was arrested, they all scattered. Only one of them stayed close to Jesus uh, at the cross. The others all ran in fear. Uh, Peter, we know, just flat denied that he knew him. And we're supposed to believe that three days later they got the courage to go fight Roman soldiers for the right to steal the body. Not that there's any evidence. Okay, you would think the Roman soldiers would acknowledge that, hey, yeah, we were overpowered. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Another one of the theories is what they call the swoon theory. Are you familiar with the swoon theory? What that is, is he, Jesus didn't really die. He was beaten. Okay, he was whipped. He was put on a cross and hung there all day and the, by Romans who were very proficient at killing people. And then uh, they had a habit of what they didn't, if they weren't dead in time, they'd break their legs. Because what happens is basically, 
When the person's on the cross, they, they, they position them with their legs bent because they can't breathe and they can push up to breathe. And after a while, if they're not dead, they break their legs so they can't push up and they, they, they drown on their own body fluids inside their lungs. And so they would come up and if a person wasn't dead, they'd break their legs. But with Jesus, they came up. They thought he was dead, but they did something to make sure. They took a spear and ran it into his side between his ribs to make sure he was dead. And so they say that the swoon theory is that after going through all that torture, presumed to be dead by the Romans, he was put into a cave and it was, you know, just the right temperature and just the right atmospheric pressure and all that. And he just got up three days later. I mean, that's the theory of the swoon theory. And guys, there's there's a couple others that are out there. And all I want to tell you is I encourage you to go check out the evidence. If you have your questions. If you have your doubts, if you say, well, I've just kind of accepted it because I thought it was supposed to. I don't know. No, that really does sound pretty fantastic. Go look at the evidence. There's a couple authors that you can go check out. I guess three of them I want to mention. One is a guy by the name of Lee Strobel, who wrote a book called The Case for Christ and uh, has devoted his life. Uh, Lee was an atheist. His wife was an agnostic. And uh, she ended up becoming a Christian. And he noticed such a change in her life. He was a journalist and said, I need, to go, I need to go examine this. I don't believe Jesus is real. I don't believe God really created the world. But I, as a journalist, I owe it to go check out the evidence. And he checked it out. He ended up becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and continues to present the evidence for, for, for God creating the world, for Jesus being the Son of God, for Jesus being risen from the dead. I encourage you to go look at him. Another is Josh McDowell. I don't know the name of his book. And then the third is a gentleman by the name of John Clayton, who has been here at Greater Alton three or four times. And he has a website called DoesGodExist.com. Guys, if you have your questions, go check it out. You see, this was central to the early Christians' faith, and it needs to be central to ours as well. Moving on, guys. The second reason is that believing in the resurrection is necessary for salvation. Okay, it is necessary for salvation. Romans chapter 10, verses 9, or verse 9. This is the verse I was alluding to earlier. When you normally read Romans chapter 9 here at Greater Alton, or you're talking about Romans chapter 9, uh, Somebody's usually bringing it up to us and they're trying to say, look, baptism isn't part of salvation. Here all it says you've got to do is believe. And we go, no, it's not true because you also say you have to repent. You've got to go to these other passages, blah, 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 blah. And that's what we focus in on when we look at Romans 10, 9, and 10. But let's look at this. This is what it says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead you will be saved. Now, here's my question. If you don't believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, where does that leave your salvation? Guys, this is pretty important, and I bring this up because here at Greater Alton, I'm involved in, you know, there are baptisms all the time now, thank you. There's quite a few of them. I don't remember how many, 20-some this year already. And I know I've baptized people before, and when I've ever baptized people... I want to, you know, we get back behind the 
away from everybody, and I kind of want to tell them what's going on. Like, you know, how to grab this arm and then grab your nose, okay? It's not because that's the way the Bible tells you to do it. It's so that water won't go up your nose, and it keeps your hands from flaying around while you're doing it. That's all there is to it, okay? So we've had people before that don't do it. You know, you have a second person there pushing their hands under the water. I also kind of prep them. I don't, I don't want to coach them, but I want to tell them, listen, I'm going to ask you what you believe about Jesus. And when, you, when I ask you about what you believe about Jesus, you need to, you know, um, you share. And I don't like to coach them because I want to hear what they have to say. I want to hear what they think. I want people to share what's really in their heart. But I will tell them, you know, listen, um, if you don't mention that he's, you know, you believe he's the Son of God, I'm going to ask you that. I'm going to ask you, do you believe that he's the Son of God? And then I'm going to ask you also, again, if you don't mention it, I'm going to ask you, are you going to make him the Lord of your life? Because those are significant things. Never have I been to a baptism where we've asked, do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? See, guys, it's in there. That needs to be a question. That needs to be a question. And then when I, I, when I got on this, I've been on this kick for about a year. It's my own little personal soapbox. And I've talked to people, and I told you earlier, I asked them, when do you... When do you, when in the studies do you ask people or, you know, teach them about Jesus being raised from the dead? And they're like, well, sin and the cross, maybe? We don't really, we might talk about it. I don't have any verses that support it, but that's what I go to. And guys, it's just amazing. We go, we need to change this. Is that right? Is that right? And I just want to tell you, okay, back to what I was saying earlier about you studying your Bible on your own. You don't need to wait for an official study to come out from the leaders here at Greater Alton. If you're sharing Jesus with somebody, you need to talk about Jesus being raised from the dead. You need to show them what the Bible says about that. You don't have to wait. God's already told us to do it. Look at this next verse here in Romans chapter 4. It says it was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in Him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And He was raised to life to make us right with God. Guys, two things about this. One is, he says what? It's assured, we're assured that God's going to count us as righteous if we believe in Him. And then he picks out one thing. I mean, there's a lot you have to believe about God. In Hebrews it says you've got to believe that He exists. And that He earnestly he rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You have to believe God exists. But here he picks one thing. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You see, guys, we just can't continue to give Jesus' resurrection a passing thought. We've got to make it central to our faith. And, and we're going to go on, guys. The third reason it needs to be central to my faith is that my faith is useless if I don't believe the resurrection. My faith is useless 
if I don't believe in the resurrection. Now that sounds a little harsh, but let me read a passage to you in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, And if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. Seals aren't my words, those are God's. And you are still guilty of your sins. He goes on to say in verse 19 of that, he says, and if, you're, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. You see, guys, I, I just got to be honest. I, I tend to be one that wants to do just a little bit more than everybody else. Does that make sense? You know, I want to stand out from the crowd, but I don't want to do everything that's really right. Anybody else like that? I don't really want to do that. You know, uh, I'm in auto glass, and auto glass technicians are known for doing one thing, and that is taking shortcuts. I mean, that's all they, they, they did. I went, to, I went up to Detroit to Ford Motor Company back in 1999. They had their, their own little school on how to install glass, and we're meeting in the hotel lobby before they take us to class. And there's some other technicians, and there is one focus. The fo- total focus is on how fast we are, how fast I get done. And you know how you get done fast? You take shortcuts. You leave steps out. And I was committed to doing things. I, I thought I was committed <laughs> to installing glass the right way. And I found out I take shortcuts. And then over the years, I ha- I, that, that, that was continually challenged because I don't really want to do all the steps. It takes longer. I would rather get done and be on my way. Guys, I'm the same way in my faith. I'm, and I'm just being honest with you. I want to do more than you, but not everything God wants me to do. I'm just being honest with you guys. That is the way I am. I don't want my faith to be useless. But I have to admit, my faith has been far from what I believe God expects from me. Last week we looked at the verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I said, I believe this has been Greater Alton's past, where it says, You have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Do you think that falls in the category of useless? (laughs) You see, guys, what he's saying is, these people in 2 Timothy 3, he says, they act godly, they act religious, but they don't take advantage of the power that's available to them to really be godly. And I just want to offer to you guys, the power come, and last week, my last point, was that we choose what power we're going to listen to and how much power God's going to have in our life by what we believe. And I'm telling you right now, we need, to, we need to pay some attention to how much we believe in the resurrection. And I mean not just being a fact, but a reality in our everyday lives. What does that mean to me? How does that impact my decisions? How does that impact the way I live? You see, because that leads us to my last point, and that is that it gives me the power to change. It gives me the power to change. You see, here's the truth of the matter. Here's the truth of the matter. 
Think of a pro- think of a struggle you have right now, a sin that you have right now. Okay? Which do you think is a bigger obstacle or b- a bigger challenge for God? To help you, give you the power to overcome this sin you're struggling with or to make a dead body come back to life? You see, guys, our problems are puny. My struggles are puny compared to raising a dead body back to life. And guys, that's what, it, that's what it's here. Look, listen to this. Look at this in Romans chapter 7. It says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who, has, who was raised from the dead. You're united with Him. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. See, guys, because of the resurrection, that should bring about a harvest of good deeds. That should change our actions. That gives us the power to overcome sin. See, guys, but we don't like to focus on that. Do you know what we like to focus on? We like to focus on what we can do, don't we? I mean, that is it. I'm a, I'm a list maker. When I have a project, I like to make a list of what needs to be done and put up the order it needs to be done and all that. And I believe God gets in my way of doing that. Because He knows I would trust that too much. I don't know how else to put it. I have a real mental... That's the way I want to do I didn't say I'd do it. Okay? That can be God getting in the way or it can be me being lazy. I choose God being in the way. Guys, that tends to be your focus. What do I need to do? And when you sit down with somebody, another brother or sister, that's struggling with a particular sin, which are you more likely to do? Give them a list of three or four things they need to do. Are you going to talk to them about the power that's available, because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead? Which are you going to talk about more? See, I believe we have a tendency to talk more about what we can do on our own. I mean, yeah, we're doing it for God, but we talk about what we can do on our own. And guys, it's kind of a side note. and I may have shared this last week. Tim and Alan and I started talking, and we were looking at I talked about our studies earlier. And we're, we're examining if the way we have taught you folks to study with people places more emphasis on what we do, on what the person is to do, than on what God does. And what God has done. And we're, we're looking at that. Why? Because we, we, we don't think that's right. We need to be, the focus needs to be on what God's done. Look at this verse here. Um, yes, it's in your notes. Romans chapter 8. This first sentence has just shocked, has just rocked my thinking. It says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Think about that for a minute. And again, back to what I was saying about when you talk to somebody who's struggling with a particular sin, are you more likely to say, well, you know, tell them what they haven't done, tell them what they need to do? Are you going to talk to them about, listen, the Holy Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead is living in you. That power can deal with this. You're not listening to it. 
You need to believe it. You see, because when you believe you got that power in you, you're going to do some incredible things. You know that? Your sin's going to go behind you. Let's read, let's read the rest of the verse. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if, through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Guys, the power of the Spirit is what enables us to to deal with sin. And that's the same power that brought a dead body back to life. Guys, I'm excited about that. I mean, I don't know exactly everything that means to me in my life. But I know it means I'm going to experience more of what God wants me to experience. And I'm going to be a better, a better teacher and a better father and a better husband. As this becomes a reality on a daily basis. And guys, I just want to encourage you to, to check this out for yourself. See, guys, the question... The question is, as we're here today is, do I believe this? And if so, what am I going to do about it? You see, as I said earlier, there's, may, there's some of you here who, don't, who, who, who may have your questions. And I'm not going to condemn that. I'm not going to challenge that. I'm going to hold you up for asking questions. But I want to challenge you to, to examine the evidence. Okay? If you're, one of the, if you're one person, and maybe, maybe you're saying, that, well, I don't know if I believe. Maybe you say, nobody studied that with me, and I, I'm not sure I did. You see, uh, we had a gentleman here a couple months ago named Jerry Jones. And Jerry was a part of a church that was extremely fast-growing church. Had lots of people, young people, becoming Christians. And he said when he got there, he was at first amazed by their life. And what he learned as time went on is that a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, they did it just to conform to the group. They weren't, they really didn't have faith. They really didn't believe what Jesus had to say. They became a part of the group. The group loved them. They loved the acceptance. They basically just took their old sinful friends and replaced them with good friends. And they liked being around them. But they never really developed their own faith. Guys, you may find yourself in that category. Say, you know what? I went along with that being raised from the dead, but I I never really checked it out. I'm not sure if I believe it. Check it out. Go look at the evidence. I don't know what they got in the bookstore on this, but go talk to them and I guarantee you, you want something, Brian and Jennifer will find it. If you don't know Brian, he will, he will find it on his iPad and order it while you're standing there. He will do that. But guys, there's no, there's no reason. You will say, within 500 people in the, old, in, the, in the Bible are dead now that witnessed it. You're right. But there's still evidence to support our faith that Jesus rose from the dead. The second thing, guys, is for the rest of us, how much do I believe it? 
How much do I believe? How aware are you that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside you? Guys, what does that mean? That means there's nothing beyond His power. Now, you look at your struggles in that light. (laughs) You look at your struggles in that light, and it's going to change everything. Now, I'm not expecting, boom, a switch to be flipped and everything's perfect. Okay, I understand struggle. Faith is a growing thing. But guys, I encourage, I challenge you, I beg you to take advantage of this power. Believe that power is available. And start using it in your life. Guys, there's a a, a song, a video we're going to play here at the end. And uh, it's about this. Chris Hamblin came up with it during the teacher's service and said, I think this would fit. Uh, it's a song, Christian song you may be familiar with. And uh, just really focused and the challenges on this. And uh, guys, I'm just being honest with you. When this song, when she's played it for me, I go, before she even played it, I was looking at the words and I go, oh, I know that song. And it talks about Jesus coming back from the grave. And I've ignored that song. I have ignored that song because, oh, it's that religious thing that I, I know already, I already know about. Guys, don't ever feel that way about the resurrection of Jesus. It's something to impact us. I'm going to pray, and they're going to play that video, and then the worship team is going to come up and sing a song so you can fill out your communication cards. And uh, then they'll collect, sing another song to collect those with. So let's pray, shall we? Father, you are incredible. And, Father, I am amazed at the more I learn about you, the more you reveal yourself, the more you hit me on the back of the head and get me to look in the right direction. Father, right now, I am at one of those moments where I'm saying, I've never believed this power. I've never, I have not lived my life under that power. I've not tried to follow you knowing that the power that brought a dead body back to life is living inside of me. Now, I know it's not mine to do with what I want, like Bruce Almighty did. But, Father, it's there to do Your will. And, Father, I deeply want to do Your will. I want my actions. I want my attitude when dealing with a difficult customer. I want my attitude at work. I want my my love for my wife. I want my fathering of my children, to be according to Your will, not what I think. And Father, You've just, you've just unleashed that because, I, Father, I see the difference. I see my desire and I see reality. I see where I'm really at. And Father, they don't match. And Father, what You've shown me through this is that I have the power to do it. That the power to do your will is living inside of me. Father, touch our hearts. Father, I pray right now that everyone in this room, you will touch their heart with something that is going on in their life that they feel powerless to deal with. That is not going the way they want, whether it's a specific sin or it's something they're worried about or it's something that's totally outside of their control. And Father, when they they look at that, I want you to show them the power that's available. Father, they may say, I don't see it. Father, help them to commit to finding it.
to looking for it. Because you've promised, if we seek, we'll find. Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. They're having a little bit of technical difficulty. If they can get that thing working, we'll still play it. But it's a powerful message about tapping into the power of the resurrection. It's there and it's available for us. You know, Gary and I, when we were talking about this, we compared it sometimes to having a, a, maybe a house that's completely wired with electricity and not knowing how to flip a switch.